Good morning, everybody. This morning, we are in Genesis chapter 39. And we've got chapter 39, chapter 40, and chapter 41 today. So this will be a uh, swift pace as we move through the next phase of the story of Joseph. Uh, last week when we met Joseph, he was 17 years old. And you could probably best describe him as a punk um, because he would walk up to his brothers and tell them dreams that he had about how they would bow down and worship him one day. Which, I don't know if you have any siblings, but that doesn't go over too well for smooth family relationships. Uh, you'll also recall that uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, had uh, gotten married to a woman named Leah. He had four children with Leah. And his second wife, Rachel, enter problems here, uh, was described in the Bible. Does anybody remember how the Bible describes Rachel? Anybody remember? It's very beautiful. Very beautiful. It uh, describes her form and her appearance. Her form, you've got to kind of watch, and this will not come through on the podcast. This is the form, okay, and this is the appearance. So she was um, smoking hot and really attractive in today's vernacular. And uh, what we find out that actually matters to today's story in Genesis 39, 40, and 41 uh, because we see these same characteristics in Joseph. Um, and this actually helps him in his rise to power in Egypt. So we'll see how this kind of cascades down through generations. So we've got Jacob's married to Leah, has four kids with her. He also marries Rachel. Rachel wants to have children with Jacob. Doesn't happen. So Rachel decides a brilliant idea to get her handmaiden and give it to her husband so that he can have children with her handmaiden. So now he's up to three, right? So he has two kids with the handmaiden. Leah pays attention to this process, sees that apparently this made Jacob happy. She gets her handmaiden, gives her handmaiden to Jacob. You see, this sounds like Jersey Shore, doesn't it? I mean, it's just, we're just spiraling downward here. Gives her handmaid to Jacob, has two children with her handmaiden, then Leah decides, well, I can have more kids, so I'll have more kids with Jacob. She has more kids with Jacob. Then finally, at the very end, Rachel, God opens her womb up, and she has Joseph. And then, at the very end, she has extra credit. We don't even think we covered this last week. Benjamin, very good. Absolutely, she had Benjamin. So she's got two kids, Joseph and Benjamin. And Joseph's story is the one that we follow, basically, from Genesis 39 uh, through the remainder of the um, bulk of Genesis. So... We'll see a couple different things as we go through this lesson today. Um, but last week, Joseph was smart aleck to his brothers. His brothers jump up, and they sell him into slavery into Egypt. And when, Jacob, when, Jacob, when Joseph gets to Egypt, uh, Egypt is already a world power. Uh, the pyramids at this point are probably already 1,000 years old. The Sphinx itself, you know, the, the big goofy-looking structure in the middle of the desert, Everybody knows that. It's already been around for a considerable amount of time. Egypt is a wealthy nation. They have incredible natural resources. And Jacob walks off into the middle of Egypt as a slave. He is the low man on the totem pole. And he's not just an Egyptian slave. He's a Hebrew slave. So he's not even of the same culture. So he, he, doesn't, he probably doesn't even know the language. He gets dropped off in this new country, and this is where we find him in Genesis 39. Now, the key thought for today's lesson is that God is not in a hurry. And we could probably get a lot of amens to that, right? Is that God is not in a hurry. 
Um, when we start off today's lesson, Joseph is 17 years old. He is 17 years old. Um, and at the end of chapter 41, at the end of the second year, seven year period of famine, he is 44. So he's going to age considerably in this three chapter period. So let's look at Genesis chapter 39. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was successful or prosperous man. So right off the bat, we see who's behind Joseph's success. God. So just keep a running count in your head as we go through Genesis 39 of how many times this, thought, this concept comes up. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So in case you weren't paying attention in the verse before, we're going to repeat it, because right? God is driving home a point here. Verse 4, so Joseph found favor or grace or charm. Uh, do you remember the word in the book of Esther where Esther comes before the king and she finds grace or favor in the eyes of the king? That's this exact same word. And the idea here is that God will sometimes take someone and make them very favorable to someone in authority. And sometimes there's just no reason for it. Sometimes he just decides he's just going to do this. No reason that we can see at the time. He's, you know, God, God plays chess. You know, we, we tend to play life as checkers. We see one move ahead, maybe two moves ahead. God is playing chess and is looking 15, 20 moves down the board because he can see the whole game. And we can just see one or two moves. So he's playing chess here. So he lifts him up in the eyes of this, this man, Potiphar. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. Which is an interesting phrase, because this guy's a slave. And typically, leaders don't do menial housework. Okay, This is one of the... Um, if, if the king of Egypt had a... Um, what's the group of secretaries to the, United States, to the President of the United States of America called? The cabinet. If the king of Egypt had a cabinet, Potiphar was a member of the cabinet. Okay? That's how high up he was. And people at that level, they don't vacuum their own house. They don't cook their own meals. Right? They have people that do this for them. And Joseph was in charge of his whole house. So verse 5. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So God is behind Joseph's success. Verse 6, Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Which is pretty serious trust at that point, right? I mean, I don't know anything that I've got except for, oh, food showed up in front of me. Great. Let's eat. Now that, that's a pretty deep, intimate relationship that you'd have with somebody to trust everything in your household to them. Then we get to this cool phrase in verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome in form. Ladies? <laughs> now, they wore lots of layers of clothing back then, right? They had undergarments and outer garments and cloaks. And through all that, he was handsome in form. Okay? He was easy on the eyes. And in appearance, in sight or in vision, his face. So if I had to guess why Joseph was attractive, perhaps it was the genes from his mama, Rachel. Because mama was really good-looking. And good-looking people tend to have good-looking kids. That's just the way that works. 
Verse 7, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. Somebody tell me what your translation says there because these get kind of interesting. <clears throat> Infatuated. He looked at what? Looked with desire. Exactly. And in case you were wondering, it's because of verse 6. Now, some of your translations have in verse 1 of chapter 39 that Potiphar was a eunuch. Anybody have a translation like that? Because there's a couple different words that you can translate different ways. Um, and he may have been a eunuch. This was a very, very common thing for the cabinet-level positions of a king to be made into eunuchs. You're like, well, man, that's a, a life-changing career move, isn't it? <laughs> right? And the reason being, if you're going to have somebody overthrow the government, who's it probably going to be? Well, it's probably going to be somebody close, you know. Keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer. Well, to keep them from setting up a dynasty in their own name, he became a eunuch. Woo, okay. So there might be a couple of reasons here why Mrs. Potiphar was looking outside of her, um, her man. Okay? So just keep, that could very well be a possibility. So it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said, so here's a blank for you, he refused first and explained second. And a lot of times we get this backward because we go into this big long explanation and then we say, oh, no, 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 no. Here's, here's, uh, 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 this is about wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, and no, I can't do that. No, he, Joseph was very clear with his communication. If, if you study his communication patterns all the way through, um, he was not afraid to be blunt. Right? He was very direct, even when it wasn't profitable for him in Genesis 37. So he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I. Think about that. Who else was in that house? She was. Okay? Nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, verse 10, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went in the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment. Here we go. So she grabs him. I'm, I'm gonna, are you concerned about that being wrinkled? Okay. So she, so she grabs him. She was. I wasn't sure if you were or not. So she's, yeah, it ain't coming off. Then. She grabs him by his garment, so they are close. This is the scene. Sometimes it helps just to picture this kind of stuff in the Scripture. So where are we at? Caught him by his garment saying, lie with, I ain't saying that to you, sorry. Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. So some people look at this and go, oh, man, he just ran away from his problems. Yeah. Yeah. There's sometimes you're supposed to. Right? 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts. Right? I think Paul might have had this story in mind when the Holy Spirit was using him to write this down. It's like, flee youthful lusts. Yeah, just, that was a great example. Just run away. Now, his garment was his outer garment, his coat. So if he leaves the house and his outer garment's in the house, what's he running outside the house in? His drawers. 
Okay? So this is the scene. So he runs outside, basically in the equivalent of his underwear. He left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. Who's she talking about here? She's slandering her husband now. Tell you what, it, one of the wisest pieces of advice I was ever given about my marriage is do not talk negatively about your spouse. Um, one, it makes you look really stupid because you picked them. Right? Right? I mean, you're saying I have bad decision-making skills. If I'm going to talk, hey, just don't do that. It's not wise. But notice how her story changes when she retells it a couple of verses later. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, lie. And it happened when I heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me, lie, and fled and went outside. Now, that was the truth. Now, one of the things that um, I, I th think I put in your notes, uh, J.B. Coffin, his commentary, he said, one of Satan's cleverest cliches is wherever there's smoke, there's bound to be fire. Well, there was a whole lot of smoke here, but there was absolutely no fire. If there was fire, there was fire on her part, not on his. And just because a situation looks bad doesn't mean that it actually was. Let me say that again. Just because a situation looks bad doesn't mean that it actually was. We might be served well to remember that right, before we start going and throwing rocks at people. Verse 16, so she kept her garment with her so she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him, the master, with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to mock me. Whoa. Now this is a slightly different version than what she had just said because she told the servants of the house that the master brought him in to mock them. And now she's telling him that Joseph wanted to mock her. So watch out for these nuances that, that change in stories. Verse 18, So it happened as I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. Now, we've already talked about that Potiphar is a cabinet-level position minister, correct? He's cabinet-level. Do you think he has some authority in the realm of punishment? Yeah, absolutely. He's the captain of the guard, which is basically the head of the secret service. When, when Pharaoh wanted somebody taken out, he called Potiphar. Okay? These are the guys that you never knew hit you. Okay, there was no evidence. This is just the way it happened. Now, what do you think Potiphar's reaction would be in this situation if his wife comes up to him and says, this guy tried to rape me? What would your reaction be? What would your reaction be? Death, and he's dying right there. That's it. But I want you to look at his reaction. Verse 19, so it was when his master heard the words of which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. You're kind of like, you told this great story and it crescendos with he gets put in jail? Why would he be put in jail and not killed? I heard it over here. God, why else, perhaps? What would a human reasoning be here? <laughs> perhaps this has been a pattern with her. Perhaps she's not as believable. Maybe. Maybe. 
I mean, we've all got people that we've heard stories from over and over and over again, and you take it with a grain of salt. And this guy was his most trusted servant. He ran everything. Potiphar's life has to completely change now. He's got to get somebody else to totally run everything. And if you've ever run a business and you've counted on somebody, and then you have to totally uproot and count on somebody totally different, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. This is how much stock that Joseph had built up in Potiphar's life. But he gets cast into prison. And he was there in prison, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. Now this to me, there's a Hebrew word here, this word for mercy, it's called kesed. And I never pronounce it right because I don't want to spit on the landers. Um, Chesed. You kind of have to get something up to do it. It's C-H-E-C-E-D. Chesed. And the idea is loving kindness and mercy. This word shows up in the Old Testament about 250 times. And in my opinion, it is the theme of the entire Old Testament. It is God's loving kindness for no reason. There's no reason for it. Right? I love Justin Harness. He is one of my favorite people on the entire planet. He has a servant's heart, and he is always, always there. I have a reason to love him. Okay? I need to pick somebody that I don't know. Who's somebody that I don't know very well? Mark, I don't know you very well, right? We've talked a couple times, said hello in church, been nice to each other, cordial, correct? But I don't know you very well, though, right? Do I have a compelling reason to love you passionately as a brother? Jesus, maybe, right? That's, and that's the reason, because that's the nature of God. The nature of God is to love us passionately. And we can't explain it, and it's not really that rational. It's just there. It's kesed. And it shows up all through the Old Testament, and it's beautiful. The Lord is with Joseph, and he showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. God is behind Joseph's success. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison. What? (laughs) This is his punishment. He's getting punished. And he rises to power in prison. (laughs) I mean, this is is like Shawshank Redemption or something. I mean, he's rising to power in the middle of prison, right? It's amazing. For whatever they did there, it was his doing. Verse 23, Then the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Now, what kinds of opportunities is God giving Joseph right now? With Potiphar's house and with the prison. Leadership, administration, ruling, governing, responsibility. This is going to be critical when God gives him responsibility over all of Egypt a couple years down the road. Critical. So, chapter 40, the prisoner's dreams. It came to pass after these things. Now, your Bible doesn't tell you this, but Joseph is now 28 years old. How old was he when we started this story today? He's 17. So he's been in Potiphar's house in the prison a combination of 11 years. That's a long time. Literally slaving away, working for somebody else, running somebody else's house, somebody else's prison for 11 years. So it came to pass after these things that the butler, this is the guy that gave the drink to the the king, the same position that Nehemiah had, and the baker of the king of Egypt, 
offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Not a good career move. <laughs> right? And again, we see this pattern of not death, but imprisonment. So perhaps this king of Egypt was a very lenient man, and this showed itself in his cabinet-level positions as well, and they, Potiphar was merely mimicking his king. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers. I'm going to stop on Pharaoh for just a second. Um, how many of y'all grew up in church hearing about Pharaoh? I thought Pharaoh was one dude all the way through the Old Testament. And I could not wrap my head around how old this Egyptian man was. I was like, I know this guy back here was like hundreds of years old. I thought the old people stopped when like Moses or Abraham was around. But Pharaoh shows up all throughout the Old Testament. Pharaoh's a title, right? Kind of like king. Pharaoh's not his name. There's all kinds of guesses about which Pharaoh this was. I don't know. I don't think it matters. He was angry with his two officers. That's what matters. The chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. Imagine that. Things working out this way. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he said to Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in the custody of his lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? Now this dude is a significantly different man than the 17-year-old punk in Genesis 37, who was walking up to his brothers, confronting them with information that God had given him. Now he's in prison, concerned about the welfare of other prisoners. Why are you frowning today? This is a complete 180 from where he was. I want you to see this character change through Joseph. And they said to him, we have each had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. Now, how many dreams did Joseph have in Genesis chapter 37? He had two dreams. How many dreams are present here? Two dreams. We see this doubling of dreams all the way through the story of, Jacob, of Joseph. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. And the chief butler told him his dream. He said, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and the vine and there were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, which makes sense that the butler would have a dream like this because he brought Pharaoh a drink. Right? And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. <laughs> I'm like, he's very practical too, right? We have an opportunity. I'm going to attempt to seize the opportunity. This is just wise. Get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and I have done nothing here that they should put me in the dungeon. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream. And there were three white baskets on my head, and the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. <laughs> and you're like, what? Hang on. Man, I don't want to dream about baskets, right? <laughs> Certainly not birds in baskets. If you're dreaming about birds in baskets, 
I'm not saying things are going to go poorly for you, but you know, take some Simonex or something and get some other drinks. So the point here is that Joseph spoke very directly when giving God's messages. He didn't beat around the bush. When it was positive, he said the positive. When it was negative, he said the negative. This will serve him well when he leads. Blurred truth is not really truth. Verse 20, now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph has interpreted it to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Eleven years. Eleven years. He gets a great opportunity. And he gets forgotten. But you know what? God orders both our steps and our stops. He has not forgotten us when things appear to have stalled because he is not in a hurry. And I'm glad he's not in a hurry because some of us, if you'll notice the title of this lesson, it was, the, the preview was No Fair or Crock-Pot Character. Because right? we like microwave. Uh, Bill Brandenburg calls my generation the generation that taps our foot at the microwave. Right? It's like, seriously, you can't cook anything any faster than the microwave. And we're still not satisfied with that. But the best meals that I have ever had in my entire life did not come out of a microwave. They came out of a crock pot. And the crock pot takes a long time. You have to plan ahead. Everything gets fully seasoned. It's ready. Oh, it is so tender. Mama's, mama's um, roast on Sunday afternoon out of that crock pot. You know, she'd start it like Tuesday or something. I don't know. It just it seemed like it took forever. It just took forever. And Sunday, we finally got to eat this thing, and it was so good. But it doesn't happen like that. And character development doesn't happen like that either. So, Genesis 41, verse 1. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years. Joseph is now? 30. Yes, there you go. Might as well have some easy math question for the day, right? I mean, you can't have them all hard. That Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine. This is the same uh, word for handsome and beautiful. Fine-looking and fat. Now, how many of you ever seen the movie Madagascar? You seen the movie Madagascar? You know the scene where uh, the hippo meets Moto Moto? And Moto Moto sings her that song? You fine. You, you chunky. You, you, you huge, girl. That... That's what this word means. It's as big as you can possibly make the animal, and its legs don't crumble under its weight. Okay? And if you know anything about cows, the bigger, the better, because you sell them for more. Every pound they are is better. The bigger, the better. So, big, fat cows. And they fed the meadow. They were still eating. They were huge, and they were still eating. Verse 3. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt. Now, Gaunt means skinny. This is what I used to be in high school. And stood by the other cows on the bank of the river, and the ugly gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking fat cows. Which you're kind of thinking, Pharaoh had some bad Mexican food or something, right, for this crazy dream. Verse five, and he, or verse 4, And the ugly gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain come up on one stalk, plump and fat and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them, and the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. 
So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed, it was a dream. It came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians, these are the wise men, the people that could figure this stuff out, of Egypt, and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler goes, you know what? I remember this dude. There's this dude named Joseph, and he's in prison, and he interpreted my dreams for me. You should probably go ask him. So what do they do? Verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly. Literally, the word is running out of the dungeon, which if there was ever a call that you probably didn't have to get motivated for, Pharaoh wants to see you. Really? Where's he at? Let's go. Let's go do that right now. Right? Now, there's, I have always wondered why I never really liked the Egyptians in Scripture. Um, and I didn't know why, but I did a lot of study this week on Egyptians and Egyptian culture. And I found that the Egyptians are the only Orientals that like a smooth chin. And this, I think, is why I don't like the Egyptians. Because they like smooth skin. So Joseph was in the prison, and imagine this. Um, sanitary conditions in the prison weren't spectacular. Right? So he had to go get cleaned up, and he had to get shaved, and he had to get a new set of clothes on, before, because you, you don't walk into Pharaoh's presence all nasty. So... Verse 15, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream. There is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Loosely paraphrased, he's saying it's not about me. Right? He's saying God's going to do this, but don't, don't think that it's me here. This is not about me. So verse 17, Pharaoh starts to retell Joseph his dream. In verse 25, Joseph kicks in and he says, okay, I've got this figured out. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. Do you see that Joseph repeats himself? And sometimes when you are in the presence of somebody that is incredibly powerful, it is good to repeat yourself just to make sure that the message that you are delivering is crystal clear received. Joseph has got one Shot. He's been waiting 13 years for an opportunity like this. And he gets his one shot, and he's not going to mess up the message. So he goes on, and he tells them that the seven years, the seven fat cows are seven good years. The seven skinny cows are seven bad years. And we're going to need to do something because this seven years of famine are coming. Verse 33, now therefore let Pharaoh select a wise and discerning man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming, and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for, step, for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. Now, Pharaoh had already asked all of his magicians, all of his wise men, all of his cabinet to interpret this dream. And Joseph interprets the dream correctly and then says, oh, and you need to find a wise man that can do this sort of thing. Joseph's writing his own job description here is what he's doing. He, he's not an idiot. <laughs> okay? His daddy's name was Jacob, and Jacob stood for deceiver, and he watched him his whole life, and he learned how to interact with people and get what he wanted done. He's got an opportunity. He takes this opportunity. So, verse 37... So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said, Can we find such a one as this in whom the Spirit of God? 
And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So in 13 years, he goes from the scum on the underside of the culture to what we find out later in this chapter is when his chariot goes by, people are commanded to bow. So all those people that he served, Potiphar would have bowed. Potiphar's wife would have bowed. (laughs) If you're Potiphar's wife, (laughs) how are you feeling right now? (laughs) You're going, I hope he's got a short memory. (laughs) I hope he doesn't remember that. Because, you know, we were really okay, right? I mean, we were good, right? Everything was great, and yeah. I bet his email box filled up pretty quick. So verse 42, Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And this is important because Joseph was going to have official decrees that he had to seal and sign. And this was required for that sealing and signing. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen. I love how God ties things at the beginning of stories with the things that ends up... Because he, he, he got into Egypt because they stripped off that, that coat. Lifts him back up. Puts clothes on. Puts a ring on his hand. It's beautiful. This is what God does. This is what God does. Put a gold chain around his neck. I'm not... Insert Mr. T jokes here, I guess. I don't know. Couldn't find any reasoning for the gold chain. Verse 43, and he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh gives him a wife. With this wife, he has two children. The first child's name is Manasseh. It means causing to forget, because God made him forget all the toil of his father's house. The second child's name is Ephraim. Says, I shall be doubly fruitful. He was forgetting that stuff in the past because God had made him so fruitful now. So these seven years happened, and the seven years were over, and Joseph does exactly what God wants him to do in the land of Egypt. And we, it actually implies in verse 57, the last verse, so all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. The whole earth this happened to. All lands means all lands, so I'm going to assume the Bible's true. All lands. God used Joseph not to just spare... We, we think about it. He will use Joseph to spare his, his family and to spare Egypt. All lands. And it took 13 years of cooking in that crock pot to get him to where he was ready to do this. And that's what God did. So, what's the point? Well, number one, timing is everything, right? And God knows timing, and he's good at it, and he's a lot better at it than we are. Two, faithfulness is always rewarded. And you may not see it here, but it'll be rewarded one day. And number three, God will use anything to accomplish his will. This idea of he's using the baker and the butler and Potiphar's wife and Pharaoh's bad dreams and the magician's inability to interpret those dreams. All these things came together so that God could fulfill what he wanted to do. So what do I do with that? Well, one, be content with the timing and leave the timing up to God. Be faithful in everything God puts in front of you. And, and to me, this is the real challenge today, is that I get hung up in, well, why am I supposed to do this? Because this is meaningless. This is petty. I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to do something great. I want to do something big. 
I don't want to, he just left so I can talk about him. I don't want to set up tables and chairs and sweep the floor and take out the garbage and work in the nursery and do all the stuff that has to be done for everything to work. I want to do something big. Well, God's got to have the little too. The insignificant is not insignificant with him. And then number three, be looking for God at work and thank him when you see his hand. Because he's working. I guarantee you he is working. He is not in a hurry, but he is working. So, three chapters. I think that was a record. I think that was a record. All right, at your tables, let's do our prayer requests. Make sure that you get everybody's name that is and or was at your table on that sheet. Thank you so much for coming.